0: Amen. Well, today we are beginning a new series of messages called Amazing Grace. And over the next four weeks, we'll be looking at the subject of grace, a pretty big subject, right? Um, How we see it through the Bible, how we receive it through Jesus into our lives, and then how we can become conduits of grace, how we can be giving grace away, if you will. It's also, I think, a a perfect way uh, for us to begin preparing ourselves for this 40 days of love campaign that we're going to begin at the end of March that we just announced last week and we'll be talking about more in the coming weeks. But what better way to prepare ourselves to think about the love of God and the love of others than to study and consider His grace, what it means to receive His grace, what it means to live with grace with one another and in fact, what blossoms love in our lives other than grace when we receive that from God and when we give and receive it from one another. And so on your outline this morning, that's the big idea that I want us to consider. It's that the love of God freely given to us is indeed amazing grace, amen? The love of God given to us is Amazing grace. And as we dive into this this morning, I want us to see that not only is God's grace an amazing grace, but it is grace that is a saving grace. It saves us from something and it saves us to something. And to do that this morning, I want us take us to one of the great stories of the Bible, one of the great parables of Jesus, one of the stories that Jesus tells to a very mixed audience of people. Uh, Whether you've read much of the Bible, whether you uh, grew up in church or not, you probably in some way in your life have heard this idea, this story of the prodigal son, Right? The young son who wishes his father was dead so that he could have all of the inheritance and he takes it and he goes out into the world and he just spends it on whatever he wants to spend and he eventually runs out and finds himself in a desperate way feeling the need to go home. But what will he find when he goes home? This is a... Very famous painting by Rembrandt. I don't know if you can see it there clearly. It's a little dark. One of the most beautiful paintings painted in the 1660s. Many have said it's the greatest painting ever painted. It's just stunning if you can see it. And you can feel the emotion as you look at it. You can see the love and care that the father has for this son that has returned home. Receiving him. But Rembrandt has also given us a fuller picture of the story that Jesus tells because to the right of the father and the young son, there is another figure. And this is the elder brother, the older son, the older brother who stays home in the story, who lives a dutiful life, who's looking down on his younger lost brother, There's disdain there, there is anger you can almost see in his face. And you see the parable of the prodigal son is actually the parable of the prodigal sons. There are two boys in the story. There are two vastly different boys in the story who have different relationships with their father. But as we'll see, both of them, both are in desperate need of saving grace, no matter their life, no matter what they have done. And so what's amazing about this parable is that it covers us all. Wherever you may find yourselves on the spectrum of life or how you have related to God in the past or even now or what you think about in the future, all of us can find ourselves in this story and realize that God's saving grace Is for us it's for me and it's for you and the way that saving grace comes to us is being received by God the Father so let's look at the story together I want to read it for us you can turn in a Bible if you have one to Luke chapter 15 it'll also be on the screens and we'll start in verse 11 but look at what Luke gives us he says Jesus continued there was a man who had two sons So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods from the pigs that were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare and here I am starving to death. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Isn't that beautiful? If you look at your outline, the first thing that I want us to see this morning from this story is that God's amazing grace, his saving grace, is for those who wander. God's saving grace is for those who wander. As Jesus is telling this story, there is a A crowd of people who have gathered around and they are listening to him and what's amazing is that it's a very mixed crowd which is often the case around Jesus all different kinds of people there were Pharisees and religious leaders who were there because they were always interested in what Jesus was saying they were confused they wanted to try to trip him up they were concerned about the things that he was saying but there were also others who gathered around Jesus people who the world didn't look too fondly upon, people who were called sinners, people like tax collectors. Um, And so as Jesus unfolds the story, you can almost begin to feel the divide widening between those two groups. Right, the story unfolds and these people begin to think, well, what is he trying to say? And where do I fit into this. No doubt the religious types that were there listening to Jesus would have been shaking their heads with disdain at the story of the young son who just shows no respect for his father who wishes him dead and goes off and gets what he deserves, right? That's what they're probably thinking. But then you have the other crowd, the sinners that are there who are hanging on to Jesus's every word and really wondering to themselves, Is he talking about me? Is what he's saying about returning to the life that I once had, being satisfied and loved, could that really be for me? Is that what he is saying? And maybe there's even a divide this morning in this room with us today. There's certainly a divide in our culture between those two types of people. There are the people that we celebrate today who have taken their life into their own hands and just set off to do what they want. We like those stories today. They're very individualistic. This is mine. This is my dream, and I'm going to go out and take it, wherever that may lead. And any thought of any kind of moral authority in my life or family that's holding me back or church or God, I want nothing to do with that. That's completely unacceptable to me. This is my life. Years ago, there was a really remarkable article in Rolling Stone magazine with the famous actor Brad Pitt. Here's a picture of him in case you don't know who he is. And I want to read you part of what the article says because this writer just captured something that I didn't know that Pitt thought about often. He said there's one subject that he often refers to, Brad Pitt, time and time again and it's the subject of religion. I would call it oppression, Pitt says, because it stifles any kind of personal individual freedom. I dealt with a lot of that, and my family would diametrically disagree with me on all of that. It's only when we later drift into an unlikely debate, the, re- the writer said, about one of the New Testament parables that I realized just how different a kind of God Pitt grew up with. To him, the parable of the prodigal son is an authoritarian tale told to keep people in line. This, he explains, Pitt, is a story which says if you go out and try to find your own voice and find what works for you and what makes sense for you, then you are going to be destroyed and you will be humbled and you will not be alive again until you come home to the Father's ways. Isn't that amazing? a twisting of the story, that the modern drive to go out and be your own person is so strong that even this beautiful picture of reconciliation, of being received, of a broken life, being put back together again, can still feel like it's holding us down, like it's trying to destroy us. But here's the thing. This is not a new thought for us. This is not a new modern thought about living that kind of individual life and wanting to be our own authority. This is a human problem. It's been the human problem from the very beginning that Adam and Eve in the garden had this opportunity and they chose to become in that moment their own authority, to want what they wanted. And that has been passed down to every human since and to us also, that we long to be our own kings and queens, our own governors of life, to take us wherever it will lead us. And of course, the Bible and all of human history is littered with stories of the consequences of that of the problems that have come into the world, the problems and the brokenness that comes into our lives. That's the bad news of the gospel that tells us that we have a significant, deep heart problem. And the result of all of that is the sin that messes up our lives, that leads us to make bad choices. And when God looks at it as a holy and just God, he can't live with that. Something has to be done. Something has to be put away. That's the bad news. But the good news of the gospel is that God still sees us. And though he sees us in that way, he decides to do something. To come himself in the form of Jesus. To live the obedient life. To live the perfect life so that he could, through Jesus, become the perfect sacrifice so that all of that brokenness and all of that sin could be done away with. And so Jesus takes upon himself the obedience to go to the cross, to be punished in our place so that you and I could be received by God, a holy God, without that sin and brokenness. But the good news of the gospel continues because it's the resurrection of Jesus, this life, this new life that now invites us to awaken to the reality of God's amazing grace. That now, even though we are broken and even though we have sin in our life, we hear the call of God's spirit to come to him wherever we are, to find ourselves moving towards God, to be received by him, to experience saving grace. And for some of you, you might have a story like the prodigal son. We all have different stories in our life and the ways that God has come to us. You may be the young son who has wandered, who has rebelled at different points in life, who walks away from everything, from everyone And at some point, you felt that call of God, God's spirit calling you back, drawing you back home. Maybe you're still in that place today even. You find yourself here at our church this morning and you're wondering, I don't think I could be farther away from God than I am right now. And you're thinking, could this still be true for me? Does God still know who I am and where I am? Would he still want me back, take me back in? And if that's you, I want you to hear these words again from verse 20. It says, so he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son threw his arms around him and kissed him. If that's you, he is waiting for you. He is calling you. His saving grace is for those who want. It. it is for you. Some of you may be living the very difficult experience also of having a family member who is like the prodigal son, right? Who has wandered off, who doesn't believe anymore, who's making all the wrong choices, who's rejected you and everything that you've tried to build for them. And if that's you, I want to encourage you with this story this morning. I've mentioned him before to you, I know. This is Jean Vanier. He's the founder and leader of the L'Arche communities around the world, these communities where people with varying abilities live together. And he told the story about persevering in the practice of unconditional love. Think about those maybe that have wandered away in your life. And he says this, I know a man who lives in Paris. His wife has Alzheimer's. He was an important businessman. His life filled with busyness. But he said that when his wife fell sick, I just couldn't put her in an institution. So I kept her. I fed her, I bathed her. I went to Paris to visit them and this businessman who had been very busy all of his life said, I've changed. I've become more human. I got a letter from him recently, Vanier said. He said that in the middle of the night, his wife woke up. She came out of the fog for a moment and she said, darling, I just want to say thank you for all you're doing for me. And then she fell back into the fog. He told me, I wept and I wept. And then Vanier closes with this. Sometimes Christ calls us to love people who who cannot love us in return. They live in the fog of mental illness or profound disabilities, of poverty or spiritual blindness. As we serve them, we may only receive fleeting glimpses of gratitude, but just as Jesus has loved us in the midst of our spiritual confusion, so we continue to love others as they walk through a deep fog. And if that's you, I just want to encourage you to keep on, to keep loving We care deeply for you in that struggle, that story that you may be going through. Keep praying, keep holding holding on to the fact that if God's saving grace is true for you, then God's saving grace can still call the person who may seem so far away, who has wandered so far. But this story that Jesus tells continues. Remember I said it's the Parable of the Prodigal Sons. There's two boys in the story, not just one. And so look how Jesus continues. And this is in verse 25. He says this Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. And when he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied. And your father has killed the fattened calf because he has comes home you kill the fattened calf for him my father this my son my father said you are always with me and everything I have is yours but we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again he was lost and is found God's grace, God's saving grace is for those who wander, but this is just as important on your outline there. Number two, God's saving grace is also for those who stay. For those who stay. You see, the religious leaders who were listening to the story would have been shocked by Jesus telling a story of saving grace like he does with the younger son. They would have been abhorred by that. And Jesus then turns and sets his sights on them and paints them into the story as well. The elder brother is sulking outside of the party. He's pouting. He's angered. This celebration is going on, and yet he detests this younger brother. Who all of a sudden shows up again and is getting all of the rewards, getting all of the things that he himself has wanted from the Father. And throughout the ministry of Jesus, part of the reason why the religious leaders had such an issue with Jesus and what he was saying was because he was telling stories like this. And it was attracting people around Jesus who they didn't really like, the sinners. The people who were unclean, the people who were the outcasts of society. All of these religious moral types that were also hanging around Jesus just couldn't stand it. And I think this is in play for us today too, especially in our culture. If we're not careful, these types of dynamics can begin to show up in our lives also, in our churches, in our communities. David Brooks is an opinion writer for the New York Times. Fascinating writer. I really enjoy reading him. And he wrote an article recently about the parable of the prodigal sons in the New York Times. Listen to what he says here. He says, we live in a divided society in which many of us in the middle and upper middle classes are like the older brother and many of the people who drop out of school, commit crimes, Abandon their children are like the younger brother in many cases we have a governing class of elder brothers legislating programs on behalf of the younger brothers the great danger in this situation is that we in the elder brother class will end up self-righteously lecturing the poor you need to be more like us you need to graduate from school and practice a little sexual discipline work harder but the father in this parable exposes the truth that people in the elder brother class are stained too. The elder brother is self-righteous. He's smug, he's cold and shrewd. The elder brother wasn't really working to honor his father. He was working for the material reward out of fear-based moralism. The father reminds us of the old truth that the line between good and and evil doesn't run between people or classes. It runs straight through the human heart. It's the New York Times. And he's absolutely right. And what it does to the human heart is not only leads us to think that the way of others um, is different than me and so there's something wrong with it, but it leads us to believe that what can make us right with God is if we do everything right, that if we live a moral enough life, if we live a good enough life, then we will deserve all of the good things of life and all the good things that God has to give us. That's exactly what the older brother believes. And this lavish party that the father gives to the younger brother just sets him off he cannot take it any longer. I grew up in church from a very young age. I'm a pastor's kid, okay? This is my world. This is what I know, this is what I love. And I'm very grateful that I never had to endure a season of my life that I would mark as a rebellious season, where I wandered off and was angry at everything and, and had to have a drastic return. I was blessed that I didn't have to go through that, but I have plenty of experience of being the older brother. Actually, in my family, I'm also the older brother, so there's a double whammy there. And what happens if you're not careful, and this has been my experience, is that we get so used to being close to the father that we begin to think, we are tempted to think that what pleases the father what pleases God is that we have it all together. That we do all the right things. That we're here. We stayed. God, I'm here. I'm close. I've never gone anywhere. But if you're not careful and this has shown up time and time again in my life is that it can make you cold if that's the way you begin to think. It can make you cold towards God. It can then make you cold towards others and almost always it's because I have lost sight of the fact that God's saving grace is just as strong and real and true for me as it is for the prodigal. And maybe that's your experience, and maybe that's where you find yourself in the story today. That's what makes this story of Jesus, this parable, so revolutionary because here he is speaking to the religious leader and the prostitute, the sinner. And he is saying that you both have it wrong. Both of you have it wrong. One of you thinks that if I can just go off and find my life and do what I want that I'll be satisfied and happy. That'll bring me meaning. And the other one thinks that if I can just stay real close and be good enough and be what everybody else wants me to be, that I'll get finally what I deserve. And Jesus says it's neither of those things. It is all about recognizing the sin in your life and the saving grace that I am giving to you. So can you see yourself this morning in this story? Can you look back at your life and see how God has brought you along? That God's saving grace is for those who wander, and maybe that's you. But God's saving grace is also for those who stay, and maybe that's you. But finally this morning, if we're gonna truly understand what it means to know and receive the saving grace of God, we truly do need to know the source. Where does it come from? And in the Gospel of John, it begins in a beautiful way in chapter 1, It says this, and I want you to think about seeing God in this way, giving his grace to us. John says, the word became flesh, Jesus, and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the Father, full of what? Grace and truth. John testified concerning him. He cried out saying, this is the one I spoke about when I said, he who comes after me, has surpassed me because he was before me. Out of his fullness, grace and truth, we have all received grace in place of grace, already given. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son, who is himself God, and is in closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. The good news of Jesus, the good news of the gospel is that the source of saving grace is Jesus himself. Full of grace, grace upon grace, grace and more and more grace. And look how it comes to us in that passage. It comes through the Father's extravagant love. We see that with the two boys in the parable of the prodigal. That's what's on display, the extravagant love of the Father. And John tells us that it's the extravagant love of the Father that sent Jesus to us full of grace. And then it's the Son's faithful obedience. It's that Jesus took on that mission and showed us the way we were meant to live and relate to God. He told us stories like this so that all of us, no matter our life experience, would be able to see that we need God's saving grace. He showed us. He lived that perfect life. And he obediently went to the cross so that we could have his saving grace. And then finally, it is the Spirit's continual presence with us, right? That's what we live with now. How do we continue to experience God's saving grace? It is his spirit that lives in us, that reminds us day in and day out that there is nothing that you and I can boast about. There's nothing that you and I, like the elder brother, can hang our hat on and say this is the very thing that makes me right with you, God, no matter what. No, it is only about Jesus's saving grace. That's what Paul tells us in these beautiful verses, if you want to commit them to memory, it would be so worth it to let God's Spirit remind you continually. He says, For it is by grace you have been, what? Saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves, elder brothers. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one, no one can boast. And so as we close this morning, what all of this means is that grace changes everything. It levels all of us. It brings all of us, no matter our circumstances or our history or our problems that we currently face, it levels us to say we all need Jesus. We all need his saving grace in our lives and then it invites us, this is what I love, to see others as needing God's grace also. No matter who they are, no matter their story, it's the religious leader looking at the sinner and saying, I need this just as much as you do. How can I help? What can I do for you? And that's what we want to be thinking about in these next few weeks. How can we be conduits of grace that is giving grace away to others? And maybe that's the question that you and I need to be asking this morning. Who is in my life, personally, an elder brother, a younger brother, someone that I'm disconnected to that I can be extending grace to in a new way in the next few days? Maybe it's broader than that. Maybe there's a a whole group of people in our community or our society that I just have a real problem with. What would it look like for me To see that lesson and God's grace to begin to move towards them. Because after all, as we started, grace leads to what? Love. Grace is what moves us out into love for one another. I've shared this before, but one of the Bibles that we use with our kids is the Jesus Storybook Bible, which is written by Sally Lloyd Jones, and it's just beautiful. But in this story of the prodigal son, she ends it this way, and I just want to leave it with you this morning, and you can take it, and hopefully it can sink deep down into your heart like I'm trying to let it sink down deep into mine. But she says this as it closes, God is like the dad who couldn't stop loving his boy, and people are like the son who said, does my dad really want me to be happy? And it concludes with these words. However far they ran, however well they hid, however lost they were, it wouldn't matter because God's children could never run too far or be too lost for God to find them. Amen? That is the good news of the gospel. That is saving grace for you and me. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you that We are reminded by you, Jesus, in this beautiful story that all of us are in desperate need of grace. We all need to be awakened that the ways that we live our lives naturally on our own leads us away from you. And yet you call us. And so whether we have wandered, whether we are wandering now, God, I pray that you would remind us of the saving grace that you would call us back to you. And whoever may be here this morning who's struggled with um, wondering if your love and grace is still for them, God, may you work on them this morning. May you call them even right now to be received by you, to know that it is for them. And God, for those of us who have stayed, who have lived that life close to you and wanting to do all the right things and believe that that kind of gives us something or that we're entitled to something with you and in this life, God, may you remind us that it is nothing about what we do ourselves, that your grace is entirely a gift that we do not deserve. And that is what saves us. Lord, wherever we are, may we be leveled by that, humbled by that, and may we invite it into our lives so we can then give it back to those who are in need of your grace. That's what we pray. We pray it together in Jesus name. Amen.